Hey everyone, welcome to the Oasis Podcast. I'm your host, Miss AJ. Thanks for tuning in. An oasis is something that provides refuge, relief, or pleasant contrast, and that is exactly what you can find tuning into the Oasis Podcast. This will be a space where I and special guests will be cultivating intentional and honest conversations about life's journey. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe now. Also follow us on Instagram at the Oasis Podcast. That's T-H-E-O-A-S-I-S Podcast. So welcome back, everyone. Welcome to the Oasis Podcast. Thank you all for joining me again on another episode. So as you all know, we've been talking about fertility. We've been talking to um, women, especially Black women, about their experience. And today I have with me a special guest, Ms. Rakisha. Say hi. (laughs) And so... I've known Rikisha since what, high school, essentially, yeah. uh, since high school. And recently I saw that she had a baby. Congratulations. Um, and she's been posting about her journey and um, getting her baby and having her baby. And I thought it was really just really powerful. I thought it was brave as well. Because as an outsider looking in, you just see someone pregnant, they're happy, baby. And that's all you really see, right? Um, and you never know the story. But Rikisha was brave enough to really share parts of her story with with us um, on social media and I reached out to her and wanted to know what her journey was like because as you all know I've started my fertility journey and just being able to talk to people that I actually know right instead of like reading things from strangers or just just having that personal touch I think makes it a little easier I guess a little more palatable and so I reached out and she agreed to do this interview so I appreciate you for that Rakisha um, just what made you kind of just talk to, talk us through your fertility story and you can introduce the different things as you go. So I always knew I wanted to start a family and I thought it would be easy. And I started noticing that everyone around me was getting pregnant and I was like secretly trying and it wasn't happening. You know, you do get the people that haven't seen you in a long time. and like, how old are you? You haven't had a baby yet. Um, you still don't have a family, you know? So I, think the pressure was on me to start building my family and I just wanted to know what was like going on and why I wasn't as fertile as everyone around me so I went to my provider who was like well let's get you something called a hysterosalpingogram which is basically a scan and like an x-ray of your uterus uh, that came back showing that I had polyps with, which was possibly causing me to not get pregnant had the polyp removed, still not pregnant. I tried Clomid a couple of times, still didn't get pregnant. So can you give us like a time frame of like how long all of this is, you know, going on for? I had my first histocellpingogram in 2011. Okay. Um, It was like October 2011. And I had the polyp removed in November of 2011. Um, I didn't get pregnant any time after that. My doctor tried to put me on Clomid possibly um, sometime in 2012. I think I was on it twice in 2012. Nothing came of it. So I just was like, I'll put it to rest because there's only a certain amount of times you can take Clomid in a lifetime. I then tried again more in like 2016 with my current boyfriend who I now have a baby with. I tried then, we tried Clomid. I actually even tried, my provider was injecting me with hormones in her office. I did another hysterosalpingogram 
and they wanted me to try IUI, which is intrauterine insemination. I did the research on it. It was fairly inexpensive, but I wanted to line some things up. So I kind of like took a pause after a while. Last year, 2019, I just was like, okay, it's time. My clock is ticking. I'm going to be 35 before I know it. And it's already this hard. It's only going to get harder going forward. So I just felt like it was time to get that ball rolling again. So I started a new job, which offered me um, infertility treatments uh, with insurance, which gave me a little more of a push to go in and find out actually what was going on. I found um, a fertility clinic on 38th Street and Park Avenue here in Manhattan and was like, let me throw my inhibitions to the wind. The consultation's free. What can I get out of that? You know, I felt like I wouldn't lose by going in to just talk to the provider. As I'm speaking with her, she's going through my records and says to me, did you know that you had a damaged tube? Nothing that I was ever told by my normal physician. So it was a shocker to me. And she said, with, with this diagnosis, you are going to get approved for IVF. And I think we should get started. Within seven days of my consultation, I was back getting my training and set up with my medication. And I started my IVF journey. Wow, you said a lot. So I want to unpack. <laughs> I want to unpack a few of the things that you said. So you mentioned, so it's been quite a few years. Like it's been since you said 2011, right? Wow. Like I didn't realize that when we were talking before that it's been that long of a yes. journey. So I know when we spoke that we had similar reasons why we were kind of questioning our fertility being the fact that we were with people, right, who either had children or had children after us. Yes. And so we were just like, hmm. And the fact that these strangers or sometimes family members, some people were well to do, like they're not really trying to be harmful, but they're like, hey, so the clock is ticking. What's up? You know? Um, and I know for me, that was also part of it. My mom, anytime she has a chance, she wants to ask me when I'm having a baby. Uh, and so, like, that gets me to go, okay, okay. For me, it was always lining things up, right? And so, but I know that part we share. But uh, the other part, so were you actively trying to have kids? Or were just like, it just didn't happen? You know what I mean? I was married back in 2011. So my husband and I wanted mm. a baby. So we were trying and not trying, as I, I want to say, because the stipulate that what everybody tells you is it'll happen when you least expect it. Mm -hmm. So when it's not on your brain, you're really trying, but mm -hmm. you're not trying at the same time. And then it was times when it seemed more like a job, like, okay, this is the fertility month. Like, this is my period time. Like, um, I'm doing basal body temperatures. I'm like, okay, my temperature's high. Okay, this is the time, so I must be ovulating. We should be doing it more during this time. So it became a job for us, mm -hmm. and I think that was something that put a strain on us at that time. It was, he really wanted a baby. He had a baby prior to me, and it was like, well, what's happening? And that put a big weight on my shoulders, you know, and eventually we got a divorce we were no longer together and to go on to know that he had someone else pregnant somewhat after we were married so it was right. like okay you know that's when things get put into perspective like okay this is me you know it it, it must be something wrong with me 
uh, even though the doctor is saying everything's great, you know, you're still young, you still have time. What are, what were we? How old were we in 2011? You know, early, late, mid 20s. You know, yeah. you're thinking I should be pregnant without an issue, and that wasn't happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You talked about the relationship, so I mean, it you don't have to go detail with each relationship, but kind of how is that process in a relationship? Going through that process with my boyfriend now. He has a son. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my mind was like, okay, he has a baby. We're going to be able to do this easily. And like we spoke the other day, men don't think that there's things wrong with them. In our situation, nothing was wrong with him. Mm-hmm. But there's sometimes that it, it, there's an issue with the female or there's an issue with the male. He could have a low sperm count just because he has a baby already does not mean that something isn't going on with him currently in his new situation. You know, any drinking, smoking, smoking cigarettes, whether it's weed, those things can actually take effect on that man's sperm and anything could go wrong. But we usually think fertility is just only with us women. Now for us trying to have a baby, I think there was so much pressure with us trying to have our son that it was times when I was in like deep, dark places. Like I felt depressed. I felt like I, I, I felt like I was obsessing about having a baby and it was nothing that you could tell me to make me feel better. It was like my period came this month. I'm back in that deep, dark place, you know, because it was something that I wanted so bad. And as my partner, he felt bad because he felt as if he couldn't do nothing more than what he was already doing right and it got to the point where he was like well if you want to do IVF I can't stop you you know this is what you want and we have to do what it is that we can do to get you what it is that you want out of this and here we are I mean it works right (laughs) so I mean it sounded like he was Pretty much, he was pretty supportive. Do you feel that, in your experience, do you feel it was it would have been something, let's say, that you could have done on your own if you weren't like with a partner? Yeah, I I think that I, I would commend women that are able to go in and do this on their own. Um, you do need a support system, whether it is your mom, your best friend, your your siblings. You do need a support system. You physically don't need that male partner to be there with you holding your hand. As long as you have. A donor I think this would work out for you it's just more the the support going through the injections and the visits you you want someone to be there god forbid it doesn't work out you definitely need that support system to uplift you and and talk you into trying to do it again later on um so I the male not necessary but just some sort of support definitely yeah, and just to touch on something you talked about briefly and we talked about on our call about the fact that we assume that just because someone has had children before, whether male or female, that that means, oh, you're fertile, you're good, you're good to go. And the fact is that there's different factors, like you mentioned, your lifestyle is a factor. It could be just bi- biology, right, depending on how old you are now mm-hmm. compared to how old you was then when you had your child and how many years done went by. So just throwing it out there for the listeners, don't feel just because your partner has had children Oh, they're, they're not the issue. And it's not to say anyone's the issue. Your body does what your body does, right? So it's not you, right? It's your systems for whatever the reason. And so don't feel like it's, oh, it's definitely you and it's definitely you. Just It's, it's probably better just to have both people go get tested and both people get ruled out. 
right? And if it is something dealing with one person or the other, then you can support that individual, right? You talked about your testing that you did, the results that you didn't get until years later, and the medications and things that you've um, taken. So can you talk a little bit more about that? What was the testing that you had to go through, the meds, and the treatment that you got? So for the IVF? The whole process, yeah, whatever, whatever part. Um, what we did going into the IVF, I started um, with blood work. They needed to make sure that all my levels were where they needed to be. They had my um, boyfriend come in. He also needed to get blood work drawn to just make sure we were in a healthy place to be able to start IVF. He also needed to give a sperm sample because they do want to check the motility and make sure everything is functioning properly with him. After... After we did that portion and found out that we both were well on our way, um, I started with medication, which the first set of medication is for two weeks. You're given different injections to produce follicles, which is eggs. Um, these are to be injected into your stomach same time every single day. It cannot be a skew. It can't be an hour later, hour earlier. It has to be same time every day. And you're going to the doctor every two to three days because they are monitoring these follicles. They want to make sure that they're growing. So they're counting how many follicles are in each ovary um, and making sure that they're getting to their mature phase. Once you are at the ending of this medication, you then take what is called an in, it's called a trigger shot. And that is to perfectly time the eggs dropping for them to be retrieved manually out of your body. During my procedure, I had 15 eggs in total. Nine were matured, and then five were able to um, be injected with the sperm. The other four did not take to it. So we did something called ICSI. I cannot remember exactly what that means. I just know it's an acronym. Um, but that's basically the sperm being injected straight into the egg. Um, this is a faster process than putting the egg and the sperm in a, a petri dish and waiting for them to, to meet. This basically takes out that time frame. You get get it injected in, and we'll see which, which ones take to the sperm and which ones don't. I had five that took to the sperm, four that did not. After this process, you're having your, uh, you're having your, you have your eggs monitored daily to see which ones go to blastocyst phase, which means that they're ready to be put back into your body. Uh, my procedure took a month off because what we did was frozen embryo transfer. My body produced so many eggs. My doctor did not want me to have an uh, overly stimulated uterus, which could cause you to have like a hysterectomy um, at some point of time. So we went with the safer thing, which was to freeze my eggs for a month, wait for me to get my period, and then transfer the eggs back into me at a later date, which was pretty cool to watch on the screen. You go in, I think the process is 10 minutes for them to put the embryo back inside you and you can watch it on the screen. You'll see like you have an extremely full bladder and it's extremely uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> and they're pressing down on your bladder with the probe. Um, and you're going to see, you get to see your uterus very clearly. And then the doctor just injects the baby into you and you lay there for 10 minutes just to make sure that the procedure is done. And it's like a safe period. And then you're done. Okay, so how long between that process and you finding out you're pregnant? Like, how long does it take? So 
they inserted the embryo in me on October 4th, I want to tell you. On October 18th, I went back in to have my um, beta. And they called me that afternoon to give me my levels, which told me that I was pregnant. I secretly knew that I already was. <laughs> but their confirmation just made it a lot better. Um, and then you go back in. That, I, that was a Friday. I went back in that Monday to get my levels read again, just to make sure that they were increasing like they were supposed to, to show that this was a healthy pregnancy. And I went from beta 84 on Friday to 404 on Monday. So that let you know that, the pregnancy stuck and during this portion I was giving myself progesterone oil um, which is injected into your buttocks every single day from a week after your retrieval you start getting these injections and you give yourself these injections up until your 12th week of pregnancy this is because your body would normally know to produce this um, hormone if it knew you were naturally pregnant being that I was mechanically pregnant, um, you now have to give yourself the supplement to support your pregnancy. Um, if not, you will miscarry. That's a lot. And you said, I, I know you put the post up, you had the picture of your baby and you had the needles around him. Yes. It was like a hundred needles. Yes. <laughs> I saw that and my heart was like, oh, wow, like that's, Wow. That, that's, that's not only is dedication, but when you really, really know in your heart and that's something you want and that's something that's for you, for you to really put that, you know, put that effort and that work in. So yes. seeing, the, seeing the visual though, I thought that was a beautiful picture. Like seeing that visual. Thank you. Yeah. I was just like, I oh my gosh. <laughs> one, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to dispose of my needles mm. at the time. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to save them because when I have him, I want to do something with yeah. them like, really funky. I wanted to capture, I thought it would be powerful to capture that and to show him later on, like, this is what I went through just to have you because I wanted you that bad. Yeah. No, I think that'd be extremely powerful for him to see that, that, that was amazing. So I know you mentioned, uh, again, you had some testing done previously and then they didn't, you, you know, you didn't really get the real results until after. Right. So can you talk to that process, kind of like how that made you feel, but also just the care that you got, like the doctors you um, went to, like how you felt about them, how you felt they cared for you? Sure. So my OB, who I, I love, even though he missed the marker a huge marker he was always very supportive with me wanting to um, get on the journey to having a baby so anything he thought was best for me to do to figure out what was going on he was motivated to doing that however there was a test that i did in 2012 after my original hysterosalpingogram i had to take another one just to make sure the polyp was removed and everything was cleared and that test showed that i had a damaged tube However, he never gave me those findings. He just still kind of like pushed me to still try to try Clomid and things after that period. With me going to get my consultation, I just called the doctor's office and was like, do me a favor, please, and pull these certain records. I knew I wanted both histopsophingogram results. I also had a surgery back in 2011 where I had a cyst on my ovary that burst. I wanted all of those pictures to be sent over just in case there was something that I did not see, which you as a patient don't always see your file. I wanted those results to be sent over for the doctor to overlook. 
And after looking at the results, my fertility doctor, whose name is Beth Fartog, just took her two minutes to say, did you know that your histosalpingogram in 2012 said you're damaged, um, you have a damaged tube? I was upset. I was extremely upset because I'm like, oh. this hindered me for seven years and I did not know. Maybe if I would have known in 2012, maybe I would have tried to find a solution yeah. to getting pregnant sooner right. than going through all the years of the heartbreak of not being pregnant or in just the unknown. I think I could have, I could have had a baby seven years prior, but everything happens for a reason. You yeah. know, I didn't know for a reason for me to get the baby that I needed when I needed him the most, but I did feel like the ball was really dropped by my provider to the effect that I didn't even go back to him. Once I graduated from um, IVF to an actual OBGYN, I didn't go back to him. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love him, but he's older now. And I took him overseeing that big mistake as part of it being, I'm older. I don't really care as much. I don't want to. I, I, I will. I'm gonna say I don't. I don't care as much because if this was him, 10, 15 years ago, he would have been on the ball. But now that when you get older, things aren't as the same. Yeah. The same. I mean, it's easy to overlook stuff when you are older. So I just, you know, when I see him, I absolutely adore him. I just wouldn't go back to him because I feel like he's overlooking things that are very important. So I went to a black female OBGYN who I absolutely love. She took care of me the remaining of my pregnancy once I got graduated into her care. And I had a couple of complications throughout my pregnancy and she was extremely supportive throughout them all. So former OB, older German, male to a very attentive young black female who I love. Yes. And just, I mean, again, a good professional is a good professional. However, we do know that black women tend to be overlooked. They don't listen to us. Right. Um, and we usually get better care when that person that who's caring for you looks like you. So, you know, not to say that he did anything on purpose, but you know, maybe it would have been a little bit different if it was someone of color who, who yes. you know, who looked like us. They would have took the extra care. But you mentioned having a few complications during your pregnancy. But I honestly, after we had the conversation, I realized you gave birth during COVID, right? I did. Girl. <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about that? Because, like, that must have been, I don't even know. I don't even know what the word to put. Like, how was that, the pregnancy into realizing, oh, crap, like, I'm going to give birth during a pandemic? <laughs> it was actually pretty scary at first. It was really, 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 really nerve-wracking. Um, because I went into preterm labor back in April, which is very close to March when COVID was very, very, very serious. And the preterm labor, they were very strict. As soon as I came in, they took my temperature. I came in with my mom because his dad was home with the dog. And we just thought that I was just going in and I was going to come back home. I stayed for five days. I had no visitors. Um, I was COVID tested immediately. I didn't even think I was going to get COVID tested. They came in and were like, well, we have to test you. So I'm thinking for the baby. And she's like at my, at my shoulder with this stick. And I'm like, uh, for COVID? 
Um, so they were like one support person only. There's no switching. So once I was in with mom, they were like, mom cannot leave. My mother could not leave the room. Oh, wow. She couldn't go. She couldn't peek her head out. If we needed something, we had to wait for a nurse to actually come to our room during this time. It was really, really difficult back in uh, April if I was going to give birth to him. I couldn't do a thing myself. It was, you. I had to sleep in a mask, which was really uncomfortable. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, because they want you to be safe. And when you're in a hospital, you never know when someone's coming into your room. So the best thing to do was to sleep in the mask. It was extremely uncomfortable mm-hmm. to do so. Thank goodness they were able to stop me from going into labor early. Um, and I was able to go home a couple of days later. When I came back in to have him in June, COVID was dying down. The deaths were dying down a lot. And so it was more like we're just checking temperatures. So they checked my temperature as soon as I came in. We came in with dad, so we had no issues on like trying to swap out family members. So they checked me at the entrance for my temperature, checked me as soon as I got to the maternity floor. We were, he was gowned up. They gave him a full hazmat suit. He had like the glasses. He was literally suited and booted. I had one nurse. We literally were in one room. Then they put us into the recovery with other people, but I had to wear my mask the whole time. I was in um, the recovery area after having the baby. No visitors to the room at all. He was in the NICU, so I had to come into the NICU by myself. I had to wash my hands prior to coming into the NICU. I had uh, like a divider to keep me and him secluded from other families. It was very, 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 very different from normally having a baby and people coming in to see you and your baby in the hospital. It was a, it was a very, very different experience for me. Yeah. How long did they keep you? So having him, I was actually only supposed to stay two days and I had a C-section. So they were literally like, I had him on Tuesday. I was supposed to go home on Thursday. So they had me up and walking around the night that I had him. Cause they were like, you are not going to be able to stay. You have to leave in two days. Um, if you had a vaginal birth, you either went home. If you had a vaginal birth that morning, like early morning, they were trying to send you home that night or you got lucky. You stayed to the, to the, the next day. Wow. I stayed the four full days because my baby was in the NICU and I refused to leave. And my OB, as amazing as she is, her and my nurse were like, she's not leaving. Her baby is in the NICU. And when her baby leaves, she will leave. Okay. She's entitled to stay the four days. Her insurance pays for the four days. Right. Staying. Right. Goodness. (laughs) So so it was pretty much the hospital's policy to do that because of COVID. It wasn't night they were trying to avoid us doubling up in rooms. But by the time June came, COVID wasn't as bad. So we were literally doubled up. I think there were so many babies born the same day as my son because I got into a room by myself. In a couple of hours, there was a roommate. My mom and his dad were in that hospital. So they were able to pull some strings. They got me in another private room. Someone else had a baby in a couple hours. I had a roommate again. So they came to me and apologized. and was like, everyone is here having babies. We have no choice but to double you guys up. When I came in for preterm labor in April, 
they weren't having it. They were putting you in any room possible. It didn't matter what floor it was. They were not allowing us to double up in April because it was way more serious in April. By June, they were comfortable with us sharing rooms, especially because everyone was COVID tested prior to having their baby. So if you had a C-section, you had to be tested 48 hours prior to your C-section date. If you came in for spontaneous labor, you got tested that day and got your results that day. So they knew who to separate and who to keep together. So at that point, they were like, you guys are COVID negative. You're going to share this room together. Wow. That, I can't imagine how scary it is regularly and then adding COVID to it. I was watching, like, there was quite a few, actually, of people that I know on social media who are pregnant having babies. And I was sitting there like, <gasps> like... Y'all okay? <laughs> that's it's that's a lot. I guess to kind of wrap it up, what do you feel were lessons learned throughout this process? Things that you wish you would have known, or yeah, things you would let's do it this way. Things you wish you would have known, and then lessons learned that you can kind of pass on to someone else interested. I'm gonna say, do your research. What I knew about IVF is only what I saw on television. I thought the process was going to be swift, quick, in, out, and I was going to be pregnant in no time. Do your research. See what techniques different clinics use. Every clinic does something different. You always want to check their live birth ratio to pregnancy ratio because because you're pregnant does not mean that you will end up with a live birth. And you want to look look at the data from those clinics. Look at the data, see how, see what their success rates are when it comes to, again, live births and just pregnancies. That was something that I just happened to fall upon when doing my research on the clinics. The clinic that I chose had a very good pregnancy to live birth rate that I thought was spectacular out of most of the fertility clinics in New York. So that was one of the biggest reasons why I chose them. Their technique with medicine, I think, was very, very, very stringent compared to a lot of the research that I've done at other facilities. They pack you on with medication because my doctor's her thing was, if your uterus is juicy, it helps the baby stick better. And not every clinic doses you up with enough medication to make sure that your uterus is warm and cozy for the embryo that they're implanting for you. Test your embryos if you want to. I didn't. Um, It's very expensive and I didn't have the funding for it. I think the minimum is, it starts at 2000. Um, And that's just the facility fee. And then it's $500 per embryo at the location that I went to. Then it had to go to a another location for another $2,000 just for testing. So you can still have a great chance of having a, a, a healthy baby without testing your embryos. You have the money, I would say do it. If you don't, you would want them to grade your embryo and give you an embryo that is graded at the highest level, which is an A+. plus. I took a, ch- a chance and was like, I want a girl, but give me the best embryo. They gave me my A plus embryo which is my healthy baby that I have now. So definitely do your research when it comes to the IVF. Um, Know the difference between fresh embryo transfer and frozen embryo transfer. There's a big difference. Um, I did frozen embryo transfer. So my embryo basically went through a lot of what they call trauma from being taken out of the body, being put into a, a dish, being injected, with sperm, 
being frozen, being thawed out, and then being put back into me. They say if the embryo can last up to the thawing process, it is a strong embryo and it's a good chance that you will become pregnant. Also no terms like assisted hatching, which is something that I had done, which was paid for by my insurance. So what they did was they snipped the outer layer of my embryo. So you can see that I have a photograph, actually. I'll have to send it to you later. But you can see him, you can see the embryo coming out of its shell somewhat. The shell is called Zona Placuta. And it's coming out because it makes it easier to latch on to your uterus. Got it. Um, They tell you that that could cause you to have identical twins. But sometimes that trauma of the snipping will turn that embryo into two. You'll, you may be stuck with two uh, with twins, identical. Um, you want to know if the place that you're going has what is called, oh my goodness, what is it called? It's something removal. What my doctor told me was if I was to put in twins and one of those turned into identical twins, they don't do removals. There's some clinics that will remove one of your embryos if there's too many. That clinic does not do that. They do not, they don't participate in that, she said, because it causes trauma to the, to the woman's body um, and something can go wrong. Yeah. So you want to just do your research on what those doctors at that clinic prefer. If you, you want someone to be honest with you, and my provider was very honest. Uh, she said, if I give you twins, you're going to have twins, you're young, uh, you're very healthy, Um, And those twins could turn into triplets. It could even possibly turn into quadruplets, you know? So she was very honest. You want a provider that's honest with you about your journey of getting pregnant. That was so much. (laughs) Like, I'm sitting here like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. (laughs) That was so much. I know I got a lot out of that. I know the listeners and those who are going to be viewing this video is going to get a lot out of this. I thank you so much for your brevity. I thank you so much for your honesty, your transparency, because I know why you was going through this. It probably was like a silent struggle that you felt you had to do alone, but now you're taking that experience and you're sharing it with me and other people. And I am really, really grateful. We see a little bundle of joy there. Oh, Oh, I'm so happy for you. No, really, like this is, you never know outside looking in, right? You just never know. You just assume, oh, okay, you know, they had the baby, all right, boom. And you're never thinking what, more I've been there, right? It wasn't honestly until like I started thinking about my own fertility that I started was like, oh wow, let me look into other people's journeys and things like that. So thank you for that. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Today's connection corner reads: It's hard to wait around for something that might never be, but it's harder to let go when it's everything you have ever wanted. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Oasis Podcast. I hope you were able to find something that resonated with you on your journey. Don't forget to subscribe, share this episode, and like us on Instagram at the Oasis Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us on Instagram or email us at ajsoasis at gmail.com. Again, that's A-A-Y-J-A-Y-S-O-A-S-I-S at gmail.com.